And uh, it covers uh, three chapters, uh, chapters 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew. And um, the message is interesting in the fact that the, the very first message that we have recorded that the Lord Jesus Christ is preaching here is uh, regarding the issue of discipleship. This is not a message of salvation uh, to people. And uh, if you'll take a moment in verse number 1 of chapter 5, the Bible says, "...in seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him." And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so uh, he had just been down uh, in the, at the bottom part of the mountain where the multitudes were. And uh, we said there are two types of people that are mentioned here. We have the multitudes, those that came to see Jesus and the novelty that he was during that time and during that day. And these would be folks that just kind of casually gave uh, some attention to the Lord. They were amazed at some of the things he was saying, some of the things that he was doing and some of the miracles he was performing, and they came to see the novelty of it. And these would be the multitudes. But there was another group of people that we found in chapter 4 that when Jesus called them, they left their nets, and they left their boats, and they left their families. They followed Him. They gave a price. They gave up those things that they held most dear, that they could gain the things that Christ wanted to teach them. Christ had told them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they said we would we'd be willing, and the Bible says immediately and straightway, they, they all said we are willing not only to follow Christ, but we're willing to follow Him first. We're willing to put Him at the very priority of our list. And we're willing to give up those things that we hold most dear. And there is a cost involved in being a disciple for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of people today that name the name of Christ that I believe are in the category of the multitudes. They have an interest. They want to come see what what God can do for them, what they can get out of it. And then there are the disciples that come and they give all that they have to the Lord Jesus Christ and they yield their will to Him and say, Lord, what can I do for you? And God spends, the Lord Jesus Christ spends three chapters of the book of Matthew teaching His disciples. The first three Beatitudes that we come across are found in verse number 3, 4, and 5. And He speaks, first of all, to what they were on the inside. The first three Beatitudes are dealing with their inner man. And He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To get to a place of humility, of understanding that within us there is nothing of value, nothing of worth that we can have to depend upon to do any kind of work for the Lord. We must become absolutely empty of self so that the Lord Jesus Christ can fill us with His power and His might. That we can do the work that He's given us to do and that there need be no self-reliance or egocentric mindset when it comes to serving the Lord but that there be a poorness in spirit, a a desperation, if you will, of coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I cannot, I'm not worthy, I'm not able to do these things. I don't have it within me to accomplish Your work. I'm willing, but I must have You. There must be a poorness of spirit. Secondly, in verse number 4, he says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, not speaking here of salvation, but speaking here of an attitude toward our sin. To mourn for the things that the Lord Jesus Christ mourned over. The Lord Jesus Christ shed tears a number of times in the New Testament 
each of the times was over the sinful condition of people, the sinful natures and the sinfulness that took place, and the idea of us having a mournful and a brokenness over our own sin is a wonderful thing here. The Bible says, they that mourn shall be comforted. By the way, when we harbor our sin, we are not comforted, we are convicted. And I don't know if you understand this or not, but when conviction comes, there is a, an uneasiness, a lack of peace, a lack of satisfaction. But if we will mourn over our sin, if there will be a brokenness of our sin, God gives us forgiveness of that and restores that relationship and that fellowship with Him, and it gives great peace and great comfort. Last we, uh, the last uh, one of the three uh, that we began with are blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. This isn't speaking of being weak, but it's speaking of the idea that even though we have the power, God has given us the power of a free will and our own choice to make. For us to take the will that we have, and not because He makes us, but because we want to. We yield that will to Him. We say, Lord, even though You've given me the privilege of having my will in every matter. I don't want that one. I want yours. And so I'm going to take my will and I'm going to lay it at the altar of your will. He deals with these three things in the hearts of the disciples. And by the way, we can never do what we should for the Lord unless we are inwardly first what we need to be inwardly. The inside of the, mo- of the heart is what motivates and strengthens and guides our steps as we enable to do the work that God's given to us. Then we come to uh, verse number 6, which we dealt with last week. <coughs> Here we begin, after, God, after Christ has dealt with His disciples on their inner man, He now begins to say, okay, there's some things that this will affect outwardly. And He says, Blessed are they which... What's the next little two-letter word here? Blessed are they which what? Do. Do. The blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when the inner man is taken care of, when the inner man is what it should, it will produce some things in us. One of the things that it produces is a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. We're living in a day where even men and women that name the name of Christ, who have trusted Christ as their Savior, flock to churches and ministries that appeal to their flesh and to their own will, and they have a hunger and thirst not for the things of the Lord, But they have a hunger and thirst for the things that appeal to the flesh nature. And the reason sometimes that we get to the place in our lives where there is not a hunger and a thirst for the things of God is because we have already spoiled our spiritual appetites, if you will, by feasting on something else. We begin to feed the appetites of the world. My dad, a number of years ago, shared a a story from a missionary. I don't know if it was a true story or not, but I I remember as a kid hearing him share the story of a missionary who had gone into some tribes that uh, had never seen a white man and had never uh, heard the gospel message before. And he went into a tribe and was able to share the gospel with the entire tribe. And the chief and the entire tribe trusted Christ as their Savior. It was a great revival that came. And after a number of weeks of uh, teaching them and training them and trying to instill in them some things, he said, it's time for me to move on. There's other tribes that need to hear the same message. And so he traveled and went around to several other tribes. After a period of time, he had the opportunity to come back to that first tribe. 
And he came back, and he and the chief were gloriously reunited, and they rejoiced and sing one another. And he asked the chief, he said, how are you doing in your Christian walk? And the chief, not knowing how to put into words the things that needed to be said, he said, it feels like inside of me there is a big black dog. And the big black dog always wants to do things that are wrong and not according to the Bible. He said, there also feels like there's a big white dog inside of me that's pulling me to do right and to follow the things of the Bible. And he said, it feels like that all of the time they are fighting one another. And the missionary asked him, he said, which one is winning? And the chief said, the one I feed the most. Jesus, in speaking to his disciples after he dealt with the inner man, the inner condition of their hearts, he said, Bless are they which do hunger and thirst. That inner, that inner rightness with God. That inner dependence upon Him. The inner mournful of, mournfulness of our own sin. The inner, inner surrendering in, of our own will to God uh, brings about a hunger for the things of God. We live in a day where so many people come to church and they say, Well, I just don't get anything out of the preaching anymore. There's one of two reasons for that. Either the preacher's not preaching from the Bible, or we've been feasting on other things and our appetites for the Lord are not there. It's got to be one of the two. I hope and I pray that we will always preach from the Bible here. You share what God's Word has to say about it, not what my opinion is as a pastor of this church. But I wonder how our appetites are. That brings us to the message for today in verse number 7. I've really struggled with the message today. Because the truth is, there is no way that in an hour's time or a half hour's time that we can adequately cover this subject. I'll be frank with you. I don't have it within me to adequately cover this subject. The Bible says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. He's not speaking here of salvation again. This is an issue of discipleship. Speaking to his disciples, this is how you are to be. This is the thing that will bring pleasure to my heart. The Lord Jesus Christ saying these things. These are the things I long to see in your life. As it begins with the phrase, with this message and this beatitude, blessed are the merciful. When we begin to speak of mercy, it's very difficult for us to put into words that which we have so graciously experienced. The mercy of God is perhaps His greatest of all attributes. It is because of His love for us that His mercy is extended. I want to make sure we understand clearly that mercy is not getting what we deserve. I'll be real frank with you. The Bible teaches us that we are sinners the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God has every right as a just God. God has 
every, every authority to judge us for our sin without mercy. He has every right to cast us into hell. And by the way, we're all there, this pastor included. You see, we have a sinful nature. <laughs> Men that are skilled or women that are skilled in certain abilities in life are named by the specialty of that ability. Men that are skilled in building buildings may be called a carpenter or a contractor. Men that are skilled in dealing with electronics, that's their gift, that's what they have a, a, a nature to do, are called electricians, plumbers, engineers, doctors, lawyers. Can I tell you today, the label you and I have that we specialize in because it is part of our nature and the thing that we are best at is sinning because we are sinners. It's so strong in our nature that even after we name the name of Christ, even that we have, if we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we say, yes, I am a Christian and I am a sinner, you know the truth is we still sin, don't we? That's one of those things that is so puzzling to us. Why would we, after we have trusted Christ as our Savior and we understand the price that was paid for our sin, why would we in good conscience ever sin again? The truth is because that's what we're best at. We are sinners by nature. You say, well, Pastor, that's a harsh statement. It sounds, sounds kind of mean. I, that's... That's one of those difficult things to listen to. No, it's just the wages of our sin. The fact that God has the right to judge us, the fact that the Bible tells us in John chapter number 3, verses 17 and 18, that we, as because we are sinners, that we are condemned already. Christ didn't come to condemn us. I don't care what the world may try to tell you and I, Christ did not come here to make our lives more miserable. Christ did not come here to bring condemnation to us. We did that all of our own accord. We did that because that's what we are best at. He came to save us. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He said, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Bible says He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes to us as sinners. He says, I'm going to show mercy. You say, well, that's because He's God. That's who He is. Look with me, if you will. Hold your place here in Matthew chapter 5. I want us to look at something in Psalm 103. If you'll turn back there with me. Psalm 103. I was listening to a preacher preach on this chapter this past week, and boy, it struck me some of the things that he made a statement of. Psalm 103. The psalmist begins, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. The psalmist knows what he's getting ready to say, and he begins the psalm, with, with an exclamation of, Oh, my soul! And we've talked about that word, Oh, before. And there's no other way to describe it than the fact that it's almost akin to a groaning. 
Our emotion is so stirred at the thought of the truth we're getting ready to speak that we cannot do anything but utter the word all. He says, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. What would cause the psalmist to make such a statement? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His what? Benefits. Look at verse 3. Who forgiveth all. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender what? Mercies. That's the kind of God that we have. Look down in verse number 8. The Lord is what? Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in what? Mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. The thing about mercy is it goes hand in hand with His graciousness. Getting something that we do not deserve. Not only are we sinners and condemned already, not only have we alienated ourselves from God in our sinful, undone condition, But God extends His mercy to us and offers to us forgiveness of sin. And then He says, I want to make you one of My children. I want to make you a child of the King. I'm going to give you such benefits that you certainly do not deserve. It seems like in the day that we live, we live in a very entitled society. And it's very easy, even for Christian folks, To say, well, God owes it to me. No, He does not. His mercy endureth, the Bible says, forever. What an amazing thing. To think of the fact that God has extended His mercy to us. God being who He is, and we being who we are, it's a wonder that He has extended His mercy to us. Hold your place here again and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. So many times we have excuses why we ourselves are not as merciful as we should be. We all have reasons why and we, we oftentimes make it about ourselves, don't we? That person doesn't deserve my mercy. Can I help you with something? If we deserved the mercy... It wouldn't be mercy. Mercy is all because we do not deserve it. In Hebrews chapter number 2, let's look down, if you will, around verse number 10, I think we'll start. For it became Him, this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He that sanctifieth, that being the Lord Jesus Christ, 
And they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Can you imagine that? Saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praise unto thee. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, Notice this. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be what? A merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Uh, our excuses for not being merciful? Well, I'll tell you, you just don't understand what that person did to me. They hated me. They spoke evil about me. They, they despised me. Well, I don't think God can fully understand that. Yes, He can. That's why He did not take upon Him the form of an angel. But He was made, according to Philippians chapter 2, in the form of a man so that he could experience. You talk about somebody who has gone through the ringer. You talk about somebody who understands when people despise him. You and I know nothing of the suffering. You say, well, I've been through an awful lot. Nothing more than the Lord Jesus Christ has been through. And he knows it. And he understands it. You know why he did that? so that He could be merciful. He put Himself in our shoes so that He would have absolute understanding of our feelings of those infirmities. And having been put in our shoes, you say, well, boy, people despise me. People speak evil of me. You don't think they did so about the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, here's Christ standing next to a known felon And Pilate comes and says, you can choose. They hated Christ so much, they said, crucify Him. We'd rather have Barabbas. Don't tell me that God doesn't understand rejection. Don't tell me that God has not suffered the things that you and I have suffered. He suffered them and more. And yet, He did it all so that He could say, I have mercy on them. He's walked in our shoes. He's felt what we have. We have not an high priest, the book of Hebrews goes on to say, who is not touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted like as we are. He was put through the test. He was put through the trial. He looks down at man. And he understands our frailty. And he understands the feeling of our infirmity. He understands the depth of sorrow. He understands the abuse that men can place upon other men. 
He understands the ridicule and the rejection. There's nothing that you and I have ever experienced in our lives that the Lord Jesus Christ has not felt the depth of that sorrow. And He does so that He can have pity upon us and extend His mercy as a faithful high priest. That's why He can stand at the throne and make intercession for us day after day. That we who are sinners, who have trusted Christ as our Savior and have gained the victory over death and hell and the grave, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. The Bible says, as a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And it's something that the dog returns to the very thing that made him sick in the first place. Can I tell you, that is the nature of our sinful condition. The very thing that made us sick in the first place, the very thing that brought condemnation in the first place, is that which we return to so easily. The Bible teaches us that were it not for His mercies, we would be consumed every day. But God, who is great in mercy, wherewith the great love, wherewith He loved us, He gave Himself for us. This richness of His mercy. I want you to look, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1, Matthew writes, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on the bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Here's a man, notice in verse number 2, the Bible says, and they brought to him. Notice this man of the palsy was, was lame. He could not walk. He did not have the ability to come to Jesus on his own. And Jesus tells him, Son, be of good cheer. You would think... He would say, rise and walk. But Christ understood something. That just like the man was physically unable to help himself, more importantly, spiritually, the man was unable to save himself. And Jesus... In His mercy, said, Son, thy sins be what? Forgiven thee. Talk about a merciful God. By the way, 
We may not have seen Jesus in his physical form face to face as this man did. We may not have heard his literal voice speaking audibly to our ears. But the day that we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he said the same thing to us. Our sins are forgiven. Oh, what mercy. What mercy. Can I tell you this? I could preach on the subject of God's mercy for the rest of the time that God allows me to be in ministry. And I don't know that we could ever exhaust the subject. His mercy is so great. Look with me now in Matthew chapter number 18. Matthew chapter number 18. And I may have the wrong passage. I apologize here. Let me see you. There we go. Verse number 21. Verse number 21. Then Peter, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Till seven times. It was the custom of the day. The rabbis in the synagogues would teach that it was uh, supposed to be three times that the Jews were to forgive. (coughs) Peter, starting to get a glimpse of what Christ has taught them in this area of mercy and forgiveness, he really goes out on a limb and he says, should I forgive them seven times? You can almost hear the pride in that statement from Peter. Almost like he was patting himself on the back and Saying, Lord, I understand. I shouldn't just forgive him three times. I should forgive him at least seven. He still didn't get it, did he? Look what verse 22 says. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. And again, God is not giving, Christ was not giving here a number. He was giving a principle that that forgiveness should be extended time and time again. I want you to notice this as he tells a parable here in verse number 23. He says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven like unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him ten thousand talents. Ten thousand talents is a lot of money. In the day that we live, it would be Tens of millions of dollars in debt. That's quite a bit of money for a servant to owe a master, isn't it? Verse 25, he says, For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. 
The truth is, back then, <coughs> you could sell yourself as a servant, get money for it, pay your debt off, and then work as a servant for a period of time, an indentured servant. Understand this, that the debt that the man owed could not have been satisfied even though it would have taken all of his family to be sold and all of his goods to be sold. It still could not have met the debt that he owed. It was insufficient. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Now understand this, when he made that statement, this man did not have that ability, did he? If he were to sell everything he had, even his own family and even himself, there was not enough there to pay the debt. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Can I tell you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior today, that's where you and I are. There's a debt that we cannot pay. We don't have it in us. You realize that when God brings judgment to those who do not trust Him as their Savior, and one day they will have to suffer the consequences of that choice. They will have to pay the wages of their sin themselves rather than letting Christ do it. That they will burn in hell, the Bible says, for eternity. That's a long time. You know why it has to be eternity? Because even the payment of sin in eternity is not enough to pay for the sin. It goes on and on and on. It can never be paid. And the Lord comes. And moved with compassion. Why? Because He knows what it's like. He has felt what we have felt. He understands our frailties, our weakness, our inabilities. He says, because of that, I'm going to forgive them. Of their debt. Can I tell you, that is the mercy of an Almighty God. To forgive us of a debt that we could not pay. Notice as he finishes this parable. Verse 28, But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. This is a trivial amount. Hardly anything. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Look back now with me to Matthew chapter number 5. Keeping in mind that this message that Christ is speaking to His disciples is one of teaching them how they are to live.
now that they are saved, now that they have put their faith in Christ, now that they have followed Him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The phrase, for they shall obtain mercy, is not speaking of our salvation. But it is speaking of the mercy of others. The word obtain here is an interesting word. It's not the same word as receive. When the Lord Jesus Christ gives us His mercy, we receive that. There's no cost. We do not earn it. We do not labor for it. It is a free gift. But if you look up the word... Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the idea of, of obtaining, it means with effort. With effort. That we as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have been filled with the mercy of God, could we say it this way? We have been made merciful. And we need to display that and labor in that area with others so that we may obtain mercy. I'm thankful that God gives us His mercy day after day after day after day. We got it once for all when we got saved. But I am thankful that even though we are prone as sinners to return to our vomit the same way a dog does, to return to our sin, to so often fail in the Christian life that God continues day after day after day after day to extend His mercy to us. Not for our eternal salvation, but for our walk in our relationship with Him. As we show mercy to others, we ourselves obtain mercy. Jesus teaching His disciples. He says, Blessed are the merciful. Let me ask you the question today, two questions. Number one, have you experienced the mercy of God? The Lord Jesus Christ loved us. He became flesh and dwelt among us so that He could feel, He could understand our weaknesses, the temptations. He felt them. He was in all points tempted like as we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. And He extends mercy to us. He understands My question is today, have you taken advantage of the mercy that He has extended to you? I, uh, as, as many, many men do, I, I enjoy tools. I like tools. A man can never have too many tools. In fact, I have many, many tools of the same kind. There's a particular place that sells tools that they sell them fairly inexpensively. And they're not worth they're not good quality tools usually, but they're very cheap. 
And since I like to have a lot of tools, I, I buy a lot of them. And about a year or so ago, a couple of years ago, they put out a coupon. And it had uh, tape measures for a certain price. And you could buy up to four of them at a time. And boy, I'd go in there, you could do it once a day, and I went in there every day, as often as I could, and I bought my maximum number. I had in my toolbox at one time probably 40 of these tape measures, brand new. Not because I needed them, but because they were a gift to me (laughs) from this company. Same thing with flashlights. They had little flashlights, LED flashlights. In fact, they had a coupon. You could get them for free just for coming in. You didn't even have to buy anything. You know, as much as I enjoy that and, and I felt like I had a need for these tools, what would have happened had they extended that offer to me and then I never went there? I never took the coupon. I never said, hey, I'd like to get that free flashlight. The offer was there, wasn't it? And me not to get the flashlight was not their choice. They were offering. My problem was I didn't take them up on the offer. Can I tell you this? I know that's a silly illustration and certainly does not weigh anywhere near as important as a man's soul and eternal destination. But the Lord Jesus Christ offers us His mercy. It's there for us. He desires us to have it. But if we don't say, Lord, I'll take you up on that. That's what I want. We don't get it. Have you tasted of God's mercy? Have you taken Him up on the gift of eternal life that He offers to you? You say, well, I don't know if I deserve it. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. You get it because you don't deserve it. Have you just taken Him at His word? Have you just trusted Him in this area? Say, Lord, I don't understand why, but I'm going to trust You. You've said if I would put my faith... And what you did on Calvary, your death and your burial, your resurrection, if I put my faith in that and trusting that to get me to heaven and not my good works, that that would be the way to get there. I'm going to take you up on it, Lord. I'm going to put my faith in what you've said. I'm going to trust you for my eternal salvation. Have you done that today? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do it today. For Christians, let me ask you this question. Because He is speaking here to those that are already saved. Are we merciful? We who have been forgiven so much. We who have been given the greatest amount of mercy for a debt that we could have never repaid. Are we merciful? He teaches His disciples, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that hunger, that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And now he says, Blessed are the merciful. As God's people, do we display the mercy of God in this world? You say, but Pastor, I I have forgiven that person so many times. I'm just through. I'm glad God doesn't think that way about me. Because I hate to think about how many times He's had to look down at me continuing in sin even though I've been saved. And He's had to look down with mercy again. He said, well, He's trusted me. I'll forgive Him for it. It was already paid for on Calvary. I'll extend my mercy to Him. Let me ask you a question. Are we merciful? It's not what the world teaches The world certainly does not teach mercy. But it is what Christ teaches. I want you to notice this, that while I'm certain God wants all men to be merciful, He teaches this to His disciples. He teaches this to those that are willing to do what He says regardless of the cost. Are we willing to be merciful regardless of what it costs us? Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Lord, I pray that You would take the foolishness of preaching today, Lord. There's, there's no way that I could adequately teach the subject. But I've done the best I knew how. I pray that You would take it your Holy Spirit will work in the hearts of men.